0: We've been examining the letter of St. Paul the Apostle to the Church at Rome, and last time we were talking in the third chapter about the subject of justification. In verses 26 and 27, he had noted that we are justified by the declaration of righteousness, of the righteousness of Jesus Christ for us by the grace of God, and that this excludes all boasting on the part of the righteous person because he received this as a gift and he did not earn it. And so he concludes in chapter 28, as we, verse 28 of chapter 3, as we begin today, therefore we conclude that a man is justified, that is, he is made righteous in the sight of God and found innocent by faith without the deeds of the law. Finding God... And being justified in the sight of God is not a combination of man's abilities and God's abilities. This is not what it is. It's an abandoning of our abilities and a turning to God. It's not part of the old covenant and part of the new. That is not what it is. Now there are some religious orders in the world today who have that confused. They want to keep both covenants. No, you cannot do that. A man is justified by faith without without the deeds of the law. Now, I hope not to be misunderstood. I'm not suggesting that we should take the Old Testament out of the Bible or that we should not study it. That's not the point at all. I'm saying that you cannot find God as a result of relying partly upon the old covenant of the law and partly upon the new covenant of grace, the covenant of the law, and all that was projected and proposed by it is eliminated entirely from the matter of finding justification before God. It's altogether a new testament situation It's altogether a matter of acknowledging in Jesus Christ the one who has provided salvation for dying for the sins of the world and a matter of trusting in him and nothing of ourselves or of the old proposition of meriting or earning favor before God. And when it comes to justification and how we may have it, the law, the old covenant, and the nation of Israel under it, the Jews under the old law do not have anything to do with it, pro or con, negative or positive, good or bad. Is he the God of the Jews only? He asks in verse 29, is he not also... Of the Gentiles, yes, of the Gentiles also, seeing that it is one God which shall justify the circumcision, meaning now the Jewish people in the whole Old Testament concept and those who were taught the law, he shall justify those by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. They're both justified identically the same way. Now every child of Adam needs justification. There is one way to get it, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. Insofar as justification in the sight of God is concerned, you can forget all about the Old Covenant and every privilege that the Jew may have had under it. The Law Covenant has nothing to do with it now. Justification is to all men, everywhere, irrespective of their heritage or of their religious tradition of the past, every man who acknowledges that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, who took our place in judgment and died for the sins of the world, and believes that God will accept us on that basis. God accepts Christ's death as having satisfied The demands of justice and as having made atonement for sins. God will give us forgiveness and eternal life if we put our confidence in Christ and His work. That is all that matters. Repent and come to God to be forgiven and to be converted or changed. Does that mean, then, that grace has eliminated the law of God? Or as he asks in verse 30, do we then make void the law through faith? His answer is, God forbid, yea, we establish the law. There are two things respecting to the law and how faith bears on it that we want to look at. The eliminating of the Old Covenant as the means of finding righteousness does not mean that God made that Old Covenant totally meaningless as to its time, its purpose, and its place. The greater part of the Old Testament was prophetic of the coming of Jesus Christ. The prophets predicted Messiah, and the nation of Israel was to bring Christ into the world through the lineage of David. Christ was to come and fulfill all the types and shadows that existed for men in the old days so that they, too, could have faith in Jesus Christ before the fact. We talked about that a few sessions ago. The New Testament has fulfilled all of that. It has exonerated the prophets, the allegories of the tabernacle and its ceremony, the feast days and the holy days and all of those ordinances by fulfilling the symbols that were projected there. Now, this has reference to the legitimate symbols. There have been many illegitimate claims for which God cannot and will not be held responsible. But the legitimate prophetic predictions have all found their fulfillment in Christ. Then There has always been an aspect of the Ten Commandments that makes reference to the law of God, or the moral law as it is sometimes called. The law of God stood, stands, and will always stand as long as the earth lasts. God, through Jesus Christ, has not removed the moral law. It was never God's intention to take away the moral law and say that there is no longer a need for man to love God or to love his neighbor. What God has done through Jesus Christ is to give us the ability now, through Christ, to live by the spirit of that moral law. We can live in a condition and a manner that is right toward God and right toward one another. This was the purpose of the law to begin with. It was not the projected or predicted goal of the covenant of the law, however. The failure of the covenant of the law was predicted long in advance. The law of God is immutable. It stands for the righteousness of God himself. And so we find that in Jesus Christ, the spirit of the law of God is established, not destroyed. The law of God is upheld by the achievements of Christ and of grace, it has in no way been taken away as the law covenant indeed has. And so then, if a man is justified without the deeds of the law, what shall we say, he asks in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Romans, that Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scriptures, Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, but also the father of the faithful. Abraham is a very important man in the study of the Bible and its records of God's dealing with the nation of Israel and with the human race as a whole. While Abraham was not the first of the patriarchs, he was the most important of the early men. This is because it was in Abraham's time that God began to accelerate his program for the world and for the human race. It was with Abraham that God made a number of important arrangements and contractual obligations. Now we're studying here about justification by faith, which involves finding innocence, purity, and righteousness in the sight of God by faith, rather than by our own goodness and moral character. One of the questions that gets asked has to do with the fate of the ancient men. What about men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and David? It does seem at times that these were good men who found acceptability before God based upon their character. And this would appear to be a contradiction of the New Testament declaration that no one finds favor with God other than through Jesus Christ and faith. Well, this is the problem that St. Paul addresses here. Now, he could have made this explanation about any of the patriarchs, but he uses the man Abraham. It was with him that the covenant of promise was made. What was true of Abraham would be true of any man before or after Abraham in the Old Testament scheme of things. No man was greater than Abraham, in the history of the Jewish nation, and no man was greater than Abraham in the Old Testament record to the Christian faith. If we can establish something with respect to justification by faith in Abraham's case, this would hold throughout. What do we do to earn favor with God? The question here is simply this. If justification is by faith, If man is incapable of good on his own, if his moral character has fallen by nature, and if he must come to God as a charity case to repent and call upon God for forgiveness and righteousness as a gift, then what about Abraham and the things that God did with him, through him, and for him? Doesn't the Bible say that Abraham was righteous? How do we view Abraham? Did he do anything on his own? That invoked the favor of God on behalf of himself and his posterity. The Apostle says that if Abraham found justification by works, he could glory or he could boast of what he had done. Now remember that St. Paul has just said that there are none who are good, and that the principle of righteousness by faith excludes boasting. Righteousness is given to us as a gift, and since no one has earned it, no one can boast. If it were true that Abraham was a good man, and God had said, There's Abraham, a good man, and I'm going to do something for him and his posterity because of it, then Abraham could glory in the thing. But it was not that way. Abraham merited nothing in the sight of God. Now we have a phrase here that's a bit obscure. For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. Because it's hard to get the meaning, I'm going to paraphrase this for you so that you can better understand it. Listen to it. If Abraham were justified by his works, he hath whereof to glory, but God knew and Abraham knew that in God's sight This was not the case. If that had been the case with Abraham, then he would have had something he could brag about. But it was not that way in the sight of God. Well, this becomes the obvious meaning as he goes on. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Was Abraham good by nature? No, he wasn't. He was a child of Adam, and he was fallen by nature, just as every other man. Then how did Abraham obtain this favor from God? Abraham believed God. He believed what God said about the race. He believed what God said about man's sin and his need. He believed what God had promised through Eve, Abel, Enoch, Noah, and all the ancients concerning the coming of Messiah. Abraham was a man who acknowledged his need for and his utter dependence upon God. Because Abraham was a humble man of faith in God and he believed in God's ways and God's programs, that faith was counted to Abraham for righteousness. Abraham did not have righteousness of himself, he had faith. God gave Abraham righteousness because of his faith. His faith stood in the place of his righteousness. It covered up for the lack of his righteousness. It invoked from God the gift of righteousness. By faith. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. And so you say it was the same with Abraham as it is with us. There is misconception and folly in the minds of Christian people at this point, particularly concerning the ancients. Many do not realize that the covenant of promise was made to Abraham by God and confirmed in Christ 430 years before the establishment of the nation and the giving of the law covenant at Mount Sinai. Many people feel when God promised Abraham that through him and all nations of the earth would be blessed, he was giving him some prospect other than the promise that we have in the New Testament. In Galatians, the third chapter, in the sixth verse, we are told that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore, said the apostle, that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, that is, all of the non-Jewish world, through faith preached before the gospel in Abraham. "...saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham." What gospel was that that was being preached? Why, it was the gospel of justification through faith in Jesus Christ. We would learn, if we were to study the third chapter of Galatians, which we can't now, that Abraham's seed or his child was not Isaac, but it was Christ the justification of the world through faith in Jesus Christ was predicted and confirmed. That promise was made, and the gospel was preached to the world in the situation involving Abraham when it was promised to him that to him and his seed, who was Christ, all nations of the earth would be blessed. Abraham, then, was found righteous in the sight of God, because of his faith, not his works or his moral character." So the answer to the question, what shall we say that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh has found, is nothing? As pertaining to the flesh means in and of himself. What did he obtain by his own character and goodness? Nothing at all. Abraham established nothing by the deeds of the law. Abraham established nothing by his own works of his own natural-born character, nothing owing to the glories and the promises and the covenants with Abraham, both with respect to the nation and to the church of whom Abraham is the father was due to his goodness or achievement. Never at any time in the history of man, has anyone earned favor with God through his own goodness other than, of course, Jesus Christ, his Son, who was not of the lineage of Adam, but was fathered by the Holy Ghost and of a different race? From the very beginning, through the entire old dispensation, and for all the faithful, as it has been the same, No one earns favor with God. All are justified by faith.